Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When Callie gives me a field to go spray, accompanied with the map, the paper map that she gives me, is a thumb drive. And so I plug the thumb drive into the GPS on the airplane, and I select the field that she's given me, and my light bar tells me where to fly to get to that field. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. This is episode, as I'm looking it up on iTunes because I currently forgot what episode we are on, this is episode 61, and our guests today are Tyson and Callie, of Ag Aviation Adventures. So growing up, one of my favorite things were airplanes, like specifically fighter jets, because they were the coolest thing in the world. My middle school in Clarksville was super close to Tyndall Air Force Base here in Panama City, and the F-15s would always do like their dogfighting maneuvers over the school. We'd see them pop flares, and we'd even hear them break the sound barrier a couple of times, which was always really neat to hear. So I love planes, I love aviation, and so today our guest, Ag Aviation Adventures combines agriculture and aviation. So this is going to be a phenomenal episode. So Tyson and Callie are going to talk to us about their business, which is crop dusting and how they've made Ag Aviation Adventures to not only show people what their career is like, but also how they're using it to fight misconceptions about crop dusting, about spraying, you know, pesticides and chemicals on crops and just really all about informing consumers about food. It's a really great channel. I really, I highly recommend you check it out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and their other social media accounts. They have these really neat videos that showcase what they do on a day in day out basis. And the videos are awesome because you see the crop duster, you know, flying around, spraying crops and stuff like that. But they also take you inside the cockpit with Tyson. And he talks with you, the viewer, about certain topics as he's spraying. So. Be sure to check them out. This is a great conversation. I really hope you learn a thing or two. I certainly did because I've always been fascinated with how they actually line up 
um, the crop dusters to spray. I always thought it was like a, like a, you know, you eyeball it. Well, you don't. There's a huge light bar that kind of helps guide him to the correct row and stuff like that. And he'll also tell you how much he sprays on a huge area. I think it's like the size of a football field or two football fields gets about the, the chemicals are about like the same amount as in one soda can, which is all mixed with water. And how he sometimes sprays fish guts on some crops. So anyway, this is a great episode with Tyson and Callie from Ag Aviation Adventures. Hope you enjoy it and really be sure to check them out and watch their stuff. Anyway, all right, enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. All right, well, Callie and Tyson from Ag Aviation Adventures, how are you guys doing? We're great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So I am, as I've said many times already, I'm excited to talk to you guys. So you all have such cool business, you're crop dusters, but you're making it much more than that. And you're kind of like educating people on aviation and on agriculture. So kind of talk us through kind of how you got started and kind of where you started and kind of how you wound up here. Yeah, I'll let Callie maybe lead into that. It was probably more her idea than mine. And so I'll let her take that one. Uh, well, yes, yeah, Tyson's been crop dusting now for about 10 seasons. And this last season, we decided to start making some informative videos. And not a lot of people, including our family members, understand what we do. And we thought uh, we could start educating and informing people not only on crop dusting, spraying the flying part of it, but also a little bit about agriculture. We feel like there's a bit of a disconnect between the general consumer and agriculture in general. And um, I think for us, the biggest thing was people are going to have a conversation. And if we're not part of that conversation, then we can't complain about people getting misinformed. And um, so, yeah, that's, uh, I, I want to say it was Tyson's idea to do the videos in the cockpit. That was really his vision. And then we brought it to life. Yeah, that's so smart. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of free time out there, Tyson. You're just flying around. So I feel like these videos are a great way to spend your time up there and to kind of educate people. So that's such a cool idea. Yeah, that was part of it. I told Callie, I, I'm always just sitting in there by myself with a lot of thoughts going through my head. So why not point a camera at me and talk a little bit? <laughs> hey, might as well. There you go. <laughs> He also likes to talk, so I think it's a, a good way for him to uh, get some talking out throughout the day so then he's not all talkative when he gets out of the airplane at the end of the day. So that's a win-win for both of you. Tyson, you get to talk, and Callie, you don't have to listen to all the talking. So that's pretty <laughs> Yeah. Yep, exactly. So what's the day in the life look like for, for you guys? I mean, we've talked – you said that you work for about half the year, which is awesome, so you have a lot of off time. But – during your crop dusting season, what's your typical day look like? Um, so, you know, it can change throughout the season um, when we first get there. So we'll get up there the middle of May and we'll usually start flying the first or second week of June. And right when we start it, uh, it's a little bit slow in the beginning where we may not start flying until nine or 10 in the morning. And usually we're shutting down um, maybe three or four hours before it actually gets dark. And then once we really get into the heat of the season, so for about two months, uh, maybe almost three months, we will start flying where it's sun up to sundown. So literally uh, where we're at in northern Minnesota, the days are long. 
we're almost up to the Canadian border. And that makes for days where I can be in the airplane and take off around 5, 10 in the morning. And I can land uh, anywhere from about 9.30, quarter to 10 in the evening. So I'll spend those days uh, flying that long hours. Um, and so that just kind of makes for, for really long days. But that's kind of what a day in the life looks like. <laughs> when the sun comes up, you get in the airplane and you don't get out till the sun goes down. Yeah, there you go. That's not bad. That That's a pretty good life, though. I like it. So what about the plane? I mean, can you tell us about the like some details about what kind of plane it is you fly? Yeah, so the one that I'm in is made by a company called Air Tractor, and they're out of only Texas. Um, they make a kind of a handful of different size airplanes. The one I'm in is called a 502, and it has a 500-gallon hopper on it. So that's how much product the aircraft will hold. And it's driven by a turbine, so it's a turboprop, has a propeller on the front of it, uh, but a turbine engine behind it. And that probably, I think, is one big thing for people that they don't realize when I'm talking to people that are asking about it. Uh, they think that a lot of these airplanes are um, old, cheaper airplanes that it's really old technology in them. And so when I'm going across the ground, um, I'm doing about 150 miles an hour. And ideally, you want to be 5 to 10 feet off of the crop canopy as you're spraying. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people are surprised by is how fast it goes. And the fact that there's a turbine sitting in that airplane with you, um, you know, they think it's a reciprocating engine or something like that. So the aircraft, I mean, they're pushing over a million dollars these days if you want to pick one up new. And so there's, there's just a lot of technology that's built into it. It's a lot of sophistication as well. Wow. So a million dollars for a new one. I had no idea. That's pretty expensive. Yeah. And a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of it is the engine, um, but the avionics and stuff that go into the aircraft. Um, so what I'm using to actually spray is a GPS system. Uh, that's another thing I think people are sometimes surprised by is they think the airplane maybe flies itself, but there's no autopilot or anything like that. It's just a single seat in there. And so the pilot is the one who's controlling the aircraft all day. And, uh, and so I'm following a GPS when I get into the field, what I'm doing to stay on track so I know that I'm spraying exactly where I need to. It's a GPS system that I'm using. And so, I mean, all that stuff uh, from the GPS to the spray system, the booms, um, the pump, there's shutoffs for different nozzles it just all really starts to add up in the end and uh, it really starts pushing that price tag when it's all said and done. Gotcha. I can imagine. That's crazy. So, so Callie, I think I've seen on you guys' posts that you're kind of the loader and you kind of maintain things on the ground. So what exactly is your role in all that? Yeah. So my role is uh, basically office manager. We work for a company, but they have a few different locations and we're one of the locations. So we're just a hanger out in the country and it's just the two of us out there. So I deal with um, chemical deliveries, ordering the correct chemical, and then any time a farmer walks through our door, I'm dealing with them and getting them exactly what they need. And um, again, with the technology that goes into spraying, we have a computer program that we use. And so I can map out pretty much to a T the exact field that the farmer needs sprayed. And then also input the chemical information and any pertinent information in that as well. And then I can print off a map and give it to Tyson and he has all the information he needs. So 
Then after I get the information from the farmer, I deal with all of the loading of chemical and fuel and just try to be as efficient as possible to keep Tyson in the air um, and off the ground as much as possible. So he'll, on a typical day, he'll load, he'll uh, come in, I'll load him up. It'll take three to five minutes typically. And then he's off again for his next load. And um, yeah, so I have a lot of different roles, I guess, but they're pretty simple and we enjoy just the two of us being out there. It's really nice to work for a company that gives us the freedom to uh, get our stuff done. I bet that's cool. So you're kind of like a jack of all trades when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll know. say she, she makes it sound like she doesn't maybe do a lot, but she does everything. And so you know, everyone sees the pilot flying, they see the airplane and they're like, wow, you know, that's so great and it's so cool. But she's the one for me that really makes the entire thing work and the operation run. Uh, it's easy because I literally can push the airplane out and get in it and she's already has the hoses hooked up. I don't even know maybe what's going in it. And she gives me the map and says, this is what you've got going today. This is what I'm loading you with. This is what you're doing. And everything is literally lined out for the entire day because of her. And so it really takes a lot of the workload off of me, which I know is uh, different from some other places where people don't have as reliable help as Callie. And so the pilot has to take on a lot more of the responsibility. But she honestly does make the entire thing run and make my life so much easier. Right now, I can imagine. That's so cool to hear. So you guys kind of talked about a little bit the navigation system. So I've seen on the plane, there is a light bar. And so, of course, you've got to map out like where exactly you're going to fly. So what what all goes into that and how can you make sure you're not like spraying over the same area? Yeah, so this uh, I did a video on this that we published um, trying to explain the light bar a little bit for people because it is something that's kind of difficult to understand and trying to explain it, it, it can be difficult as well. But so I do, like you said, I, I do have this light bar on the nose of the aircraft and it has LED lights on it. And so when Callie gives me a field to go spray, accompanied with the map, the paper map that she gives me is a thumb drive. And so I plug the thumb drive into the GPS on the airplane and I select the field that she's given me. And my light bar tells me where to fly to get to that field. So it'll tell me how far the field is away from me. And then once I take off, if I line the lights up on the light bar, it'll fly me directly to the field. And so once I'm a half a mile away from the field, I also on the piece of paper that Callie has given me, I have a color, basically a Google map or Google satellite view of that field. So I can see what's around it, if there's a house, if there's trees, anything like that. Also, I have a screen inside of my airplane and on that screen, the field is also there. So I have a display of my airplane on the screen as well as the field. So if I were to fly directly over the field, I can see myself on the display flying over that exact field. So I know that I'm spraying the correct field and I double check it with the map and what's around it. But the way that the light bar works is that I'll go into the field and let's just make it easy and say it's a, a square field. Um, I'll go in and I'll pick an edge and I'll dive into the field and lay what's called an AB line. And um, it's 
when I go to the field on my stick on the airplane, I have a button and I click it and that clicks the A point. And then when I get to the end of my swath, I click it again and that's my B point. And the GPS literally draws a straight line between those two points. Then when I click it again, it moves me over whatever my swath width is set for that airplane. So let's say it's 65 feet. It literally moves my line over 65 feet and that shows up on my light bar in front of me. So I pull out of the field, go into a turn, and when I come back, I have all these lights going across the light bar left to right, but if they are completely centered, then I know that I'm on my swath 100%, and so I come back into the field and wait for those lights to line back up, and once they're all in the center, I know that that's my next swath and I enter the field and I start spraying that next swath. So I do understand that is kind of difficult to explain, especially if people don't really know what the light bar looks like and that kind of stuff. But that's why I did a video on that. Um, I did it on the ground and tried to go slow to explain it a little bit, but uh, it is, it is kind of hard to understand, but yeah, it's, that's what the GPS is doing for me is allowing me to know that I am on my correct swath and that I'm not getting off of it or anything. Okay, cool. Yeah, your video breakdown of it was really, really good. And I had no, I, I honestly always just thought that crop dusters kind of did it by eye. But I mean, your your GPS system video breakdown was really, really cool. And I was like, Oh, that makes much more sense now. Well, thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. Because that, you know, coming from me where I know exactly what it is, and I'm trying to explain it. I'm like, well, I don't know why people don't understand this. I explained it perfectly. It's, it's clear as mud. No, so I was editing that video and I'm like, oh man, people may need to watch this a couple times to really figure it out. Cause it's a, it's just kind of a lot, especially if you're not used to it. But yeah, no, I, I had, I had to watch it like once or twice and I was like, okay, this makes much more sense now. <laughs> that was really cool. It's funny watching it. You talked about it a few minutes ago. You do get really low. The first time I was watching your video, I was like, oh man, he's really close to the ground and you're booking it. Like you're going really, really quick too. Yeah. And I think uh, that's, you know, again, when I talk to people, um, you know, even other pilots uh, that aren't involved in spraying, but they fly maybe recreationally or anything like that, they're always really surprised at how low you are to the ground. Um, and that's always something that surprises me. I mean, people are thinking, oh, you're 50 feet, you're 100 feet in the air, but you're not at all. I mean, you're, you're really on top of the crop canopy as you're dispersing. Super low. That's crazy. So with these videos, I know you guys have been like trying to share what your lives are like, what crop dusting is like, what the ag industry is like. What are some of the, like, the biggest misconceptions that you're trying to address with kind of educating people? I know one video you've talked about is the amount of chemicals and how it's equivalent to like a 12 ounce Coke can, which I thought was a great analogy. So what are some other like big misconceptions you guys are trying to fight while doing this? There's so many. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this could be a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, there, there are a lot. And what you just mentioned as far as um, how much chemical you're actually putting onto the field, that's a really big one right there. Um, you know, because I carry 500 gallons, people just automatically think, well, if you, if you have 500 gallons, it's 500 gallons of straight whatever chemical you're using. We'll say Roundup because that's a big one that's in the news. But that's obviously not the case. You are having to mix it with mostly water. And so 
that's not trying to say that whatever we're doing is safe because we're still spraying a chemical. However, um, we just want to make sure that it's clear that it's not a straight chemical that's going into the airplane. You know, we're trying to kill, uh, be it bugs or fungus on a large scale, but these bugs are, some of them can be microscopic. They're, you know, some can are very tiny. If we're talking like a soybean aphid, something like that, the size of a gnat on some of these things. And so that's what we're out there trying to kill. So it doesn't require a really potent, strong, toxic chemical sometimes. And so that's, that's kind of what um, we're trying to get, a, you know, trying to get that point across. I know Callie, she does a lot with the social media. I don't really handle that as much or at all, I guess. And she's always telling me how her friends are saying things um, about Roundup. I think that's probably, Roundup is in the news a lot. And I think that's probably the biggest one. I think a lot of people believe that all we're doing is going and spraying Roundup on everything. You know, all we do, if they see anyone spraying anything, it has to be Roundup. And that's obviously not the case. Um, I don't spray a lot of it. Um, I do spray a little, but for me, Roundup, it, it's a volatile product coming out of the airplane and it tends to drift, which Roundup will, unless it's go, being sprayed on a crop that is resistant to Roundup, it'll kill anything. And so uh, coming out of the airplane, it's, it's very volatile and it can drift. And, and if it goes into like a wheat field or something like that, it'll easily kill the wheat or ding it. And so I don't love spraying it, but uh, I think that's a big one is that Roundup is sprayed on everything. Um, and whenever they see someone spraying, it has to be Roundup. And that's, that's really not the case <laughs> at all. Um, and I think, you know, we're trying to get across the point that, um, what we're doing for the scale of agriculture that we're talking about and trying to feed as many people that we're talking about, um, something has to be done. I, we get asked questions like, well, what if you just didn't do anything at all? And you let the pests into the field and you let them kind of do their thing. How much are we talking about is being affected by that? And, you know, the farmer needs to make money. And so if his yield isn't as high, then he's not going to be making as much money. If they're not getting as much yield out of that field, then the price of food is going to be higher. They're going to need more ground to produce the same amount of food. And so it kind of has this trickle effect um, that we're trying to combat. And, uh, you know, with what we're using, we're trying to get the highest yield out of the field um, and make use of, you know, this 160 acre field we want to produce as much food out of that 160 acres as we possibly can. I think another thing too is um, we work with a lot of really great farmers. We, you know, they all know us personally and the marketing um, that's going around, I feel like that is saying, you know, stop working with corporate farming, corporate farming's bad. Most of the farms in the U.S. are family-owned farms and uh, it's just interesting to hear from people who are disconnected from agriculture or farming communities because for us it's like we love our farmers they're amazing people and this is their livelihood and they're doing what they can you know it's crazy the amount of stress that they take on and um just what they go through to to feed people who maybe aren't uh very respectful of them so that's another thing is is just 
farmers in general and trying to get the yeah, point across. Yeah, I like that. that. I mean, they're out there we have, especially us, here so. in the U.S., we have like the safest, most abundant food supply that the world has ever known. And I mean, you guys aren't putting down any chemicals that are going to hurt us. Farmers aren't doing anything that's going to make food unhealthy. So I think that's a really great thing to kind of highlighting the importance of farmers, the importance of you guys and what you're doing. So I think this is a really cool thing that you guys are doing. So that's awesome. Yeah, no problem. So um, what are, we're doing this, um, this new season is kind of conventional ag versus organic ag. We're just kind of figuring out the differences. And so I know you've talked about it in some of your video, in your videos, do you guys spray organic crops or no? Yeah, so we do have some organic farmers around us and we do spray for them. It's a little bit different. Uh, we're not big into it. It literally is just, uh, I think we probably have two or three guys that we yeah. spray for throughout the season that's organic. And with them, um, the mix that we're doing, it can be kind of a lot of different stuff, but um, what they'll throw in it a lot of times is gonna be things like sugar or molasses and uh, a fertilizer, usually straight fish guts, stuff that um, no matter what, it, it seems that if uh, if it drips on the ground, Hank is rolling in it. <laughs> Hank's our dog. Hank is our dog, not not a child. That makes much more sense. Okay. <laughs> if, if anyone's a fan of the organic spraying, it is Hank because he uh, has a heyday with it. But other than that, it's pretty disgusting to have to load um, that is just our experience in our area, but in other areas, it's obviously going to be different. Uh, and there are chemicals that are approved for organic spraying as well, which is another huge misconception is that organic means, you know, people think that organic means it hasn't been touched by any chemicals, but that's not exactly true. It's more of where the chemical is derived from that uh, pertains to if it's been sprayed on organic crops or not. Gotcha. That makes much more sense. Okay. That's really cool. That could be, yeah, like I said, that could be, I feel like that could be a whole nother podcast too, is that topic. Oh yeah. 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 A lot of our guests are like, wait, like they, they've heard some of our podcast guests before they have organic fields or, or crops and they're like, wait, so you actually do spray organic crops? Like, yep, yep, you do. So, I mean, that's so weird. The fish guts, I mean, does it, does it clog up the system or anything or, or, or how exactly does that work? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So between between fish guts and molasses, um, you can definitely run into some issues. So when we first started doing it, it was a little bit of trial and error, and I was really hesitant because obviously if I have 500 gallons of this stuff on board, I mean, we're talking the weight of a vehicle is on the front of this aircraft when I take off. And if I get into the air and all of a sudden I can't get it off of the airplane, now I have to land with the weight of a vehicle on the aircraft. So it, it, it can be a little hard to understand if you're maybe not a pilot or not used to that scenario, but it's just not uh, as easy to land as it is to take off with all of that weight. It's just a whole nother ball game at that point. But yes, it, it can clog things up. Um, we've gotten better at it and the, the growers that we work with have gotten better at it. But uh, there have been issues in the past with that. And pumps too, which luckily, like if it clogs the pump, that's a good thing because that means that it didn't get into the airplane and clog it. But we've had to, over the last few years, we've 
yeah, we've figured out systems, adding extra filters and stuff, but um, yeah. It's also kind of, when Tyson talks about landing, like, I, I'm not a pilot, but I understand that it's more difficult, but it's also really heightens the risk and it's just dangerous. So if you can cut down on, on daily risks, then that makes me happy. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The less danger in landing and just in general is probably a good thing. That's not bad. So, and you guys have mentioned before you have, you, because of your job, you can take half the year off. So, I mean, that's probably a great time. You can kind of relax and wind and just kind of not worry about work for a while. Is that right? Yeah, kind of like you experienced trying to line up the podcast with our <laughs> schedule. And, you know, we're like, well, I don't know if it's going to be a good time now. And um, we just spent the last six weeks. So when we move up to Minnesota, we take a travel trailer up there. And that's what we live out of at the hangar. And we also use it quite a bit in the wintertime during our off season. So we did a ski trip this winter for six weeks. Um, we spent five weeks down in Mexico in the fall and then trying to line up this podcast. That's when we were out riding motorcycles. And so we were doing that for six weeks. And, uh, you know, sometimes we don't have great service and that kind of stuff. And so that's what we really enjoy about it is the fact that we can go and, uh, you know, kind of put our heads down and grind away for the summer. And that's really all we focus on. And we want to do as much work as we possibly can. Um, and then once the off season gets here, we try to have fun at that point. Um, but that it sounds great and it is, but also we don't have a summer. So while we're, you know, while all of my friends are enjoying summers in Colorado, we're out in the Midwest and there are great sunsets and sunrises out there, but, um, even if there were things to do out there, we honestly wouldn't have the time. So we work seven days a week, um, pretty much every day, all day. And that's what we're there for. So there are some drawbacks and also with income, it's not a set income every year. It can be drastically different from one year to the next. And we live frugally and, um, you know, we don't have kids. We don't have a ton of expenses. We have a house here in Colorado. Um, and we have a couple motorcycles, but, for the most part, it works really well for us, but um, also there are some drawbacks. We it doesn't we don't want it to sound like we're bragging when we say, oh, we're out having fun for six months of the year. But uh, yeah. yeah, and that's what we're dealing with right now. So yeah. uh, what is it, May eighth, and we are uh, kind of in our final week here in Colorado. This is when we're looking at packing up, packing up the house. And so all these people are coming into town. Um, we live in a nice valley here. There's a lot of hiking, a lot of 14,000 foot peaks and uh, the river's running. So a lot of kayaking and a lot of people are coming in town and so we're here packing our house up to leave town. And so that's yeah. one thing that's kind of difficult for us every year is uh, to have to pack up and, and leave here. Um, but like I said, it, it kind of makes up for it when we get back and we can start traveling and start having fun after a hard season of working. So, right. Yeah. It's got its perks and it's got its drawbacks, but that's not bad. I, I might have to title you guys crop dusters and um, world adventurers because you're traveling everywhere and you got the motorcycle. <laughs> that's not bad. That's pretty enjoyable. <laughs> that's so that's the other channel that we have on YouTube is uh, that that other side of things, kind of our off season 
um, life. And so that one's Adventure Rig. Yeah, and let's put a little plug in. Yeah, we'll yeah, go uh, for throw it. that out there. But uh, that's that's our off-season life, and that's kind of, uh, of the other half of things. So. Right, well, that's not bad. Well, not only do you have one YouTube channel, you have two. That's pretty good. That's not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a lot of work. So oh. <laughs> I spend a lot of time in the off-season doing that as well. There you go. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> editing everything, recording everything, posting it. Yeah, it's a job. I, I believe you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sure you understand. Oh, yeah. Sure. All right. Well, Tyson, Callie, this has been so cool learning about what you guys do with Ag Aviation Adventures. And I think what you guys are doing is so cool. Um, if people want to follow you, you're you know on Instagram, Facebook, Ag Aviation Adventures. You're on YouTube, Ag Aviation Adventures. Where else can they go to kind of follow you guys? Um, pretty much right now, Instagram and YouTube are our main focuses. Like we said, we have a season or sorry, a channel for what we do in the off season, Adventure Rig. Um, we have an Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channel there as well. That's more of the fun side of things, and Ag Aviation Adventures is what we do for work and trying to inform people and get the word out there. We're also going to start selling t-shirts soon, so we're going to have to, um, yeah, we'll have a website for that. Not sure what it'll be yet, but stay tuned. Yes, count me in. I will order a t-shirt. I'm all about the Ag Aviation t-shirt. That'd be cool. <laughs> awesome thank you so much for having right. us we really appreciate you taking the time to have us on yeah thanks a lot trevor well thank you i was excited to have you guys on i'm glad we finally worked out um keep up the good work and we'll be in touch that all right that great. sounds thank great you. thanks that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv